glad that we will fellowship in this moment together. Um, as I was thinking about the theme of this month and, uh, and, and today's sermon, I thought I can share a bit of uh, the process I have when making sermons, which is a joy. I will go through a week and I will feel like I'm collecting ideas, you know, just putting ideas down from the, you know, from the wind. Some of them make it to the final session, most of them don't. Uh, but on the day I sit to work everything together, there's obviously a computer with a blank screen, the scriptures are there, and a note, some notes on many things and quotes I can draw from. But there's also, I've re- come to increasingly realize um, a sensitivity to the spirit. I, I love what one author said when he was interviewed about how he writes his books. And he said, for him, writing is not so much generating ideas. It's, he feels like he listens and he takes notes. And I also feel like that has come to apply to me. It's almost like a listening and a taking of notes. And uh, often I feel like what the spirit will alert me to is the cultural moment we are living in. And, and I often can't shake myself from that. I always feel immersed in, in, in the cultural moment that we may happen to be going through. So uh, as I worked on this week's sermon, I thought of November, right? November as a cultural moment, and even what has led to, to this moment. So uh, um, it, it, it has been interestingly, uh, it has been busy with some interesting events lately. Uh, taking place culturally around us. You may have heard of Oktoberfest, right? They celebrate, they have a good time, uh, they drink lots of drinks, right? That's what Oktoberfest is all about, right? Then there was Halloween. You know, I walked into one of the malls with my son, and I had to do a lot of explaining. You know, why are, you know what are these, right? So many, Halloween, um, which was when? On Wednesday. Um, and uh, there was quite a buzz about it. And I also realized that sometimes, eventually, culture takes over. Yeah? Uh, it's interesting that that holiday has a very interesting background to it, right? So, Hallows, Eve, if you read about it, and All Saints Day, and All Souls Day. But right now, it's nothing like it. So you begin to see a trend where culture takes over. And when culture takes over, there's a huge commercialization to things. Uh, And then here we are in November, one of the days that's uh, increasingly getting global acclaim is a day we'll have towards the end of the month called Black Friday, right? Black Friday. And as if Black Friday is not enough, nowadays there's even, I saw a billboard saying Black Month. Actually, November. You, you will see that billboard, right? Kafu, black, black month, right? Uh, one day is not enough to shop and to get all the deals. Um, so let's make it a month of drumming up, shopping. Uh, and then what happens is that it doesn't slow down until Christmas, right? So you may have heard it mentioned how there's a lot of commercialization of what was once sacred. Um, people are looking to how to capitalize on, on, on making money for it. You know, when you look at all these holidays, I think now they're more driven by commerce more than anything else. And that's where we are this month. So um, the conversations of this month are partly inspired by that cultural moment. Obviously, that's not all that's happening. Those are a few examples. But they are an indicator 
of an underlying symptom affecting us in this moment of time. There's a huge effort in our culture to make us into consumers. There's a huge effort in our culture to make us really, really good consumers. Throughout this month, you will be bombarded by regular information of the deals that are coming up. Yeah? So that you can be a very, very good what? Consumer. Think about it. As the years go by, it's easier and easier to consume just about anything whether it's information or this product or that product. So this month of November, we'll be screaming, buy, buy, buy. And on the overall culture, on the, on the overall culture is screaming, consume, consume, consume. So as we live through this season, I would like us to walk through a series that actually gets us to think about what it means to live for more. Because culture is saying more, 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 more. Live, get more, get more. What if we slowed down and postured ourselves differently in a world that is a massive tidal wave towards consumption? How, what would be a different kind of more? A world that leads people to end up with a chronic restlessness because of the whole more, 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 more. You know, our souls were never created to get, 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 and keep, because that's how, that's what the tidal wave of culture is. But our souls were created to live for a purpose, to live for an aim, to give themselves towards something um, that is good. Culture seems to push us towards more stuff. Scripture seems to draw us towards more of God's will for our lives. It's true we were meant to live for more, but more of what? So we have to live for more, more of the good and the life-giving. So live for more is the theme of this month's conversation. This is on live for more, live for more. We will bring up about a couple of stories and from the scriptures and experiences that will draw us towards alternative postures of more. This is not a conversation to tell you to be less, it's to tell you to be more, but an alternative way of being more. Postures more aligned to the ways of God rather than the ways of culture. And so today's first sermon in that series, I thought of calling it the Hunger Game. Yeah, of course, inspired by the culture. Let's see how, how it goes, the Hunger Game. Last Saturday night, South Africa won the Rugby World Cup against New Zealand in an epic final. I was so happy. 12-11 was the final score. Just a point to show you how tight and difficult that game was. It was lovely. It was glorious. And so that means the devastation on the New Zealand side was huge. Later on in the week, I heard one commentator say and describe it this way. New Zealand really wanted to win the World Cup. But South Africa really needed to win the World Cup. And the need seems to be that which pushed South Africa just one point more, and they won it. Yeah? Beyond just wanting, they really needed it. And as we think about this moment, you know, consumerism is an, 
and an ever-increasing array of choices. We have a choice to feel every moment, every boredom. We have a choice to consume everything. Consumerism and an ever-increasing array of choice for everything around us describes us from what we should truly be desiring. It, it's a distraction. From what we should truly be desiring and provides us distractions and alternatives to desire more of stuff rather than more of life. We should be desiring life, godliness, and being whole with a deep hunger. So, let's turn to scriptures. Jesus frames it this way in the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. The message translation says this, blessed are you when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He is, full, he is food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. This is a lovely beatitude about appetites, about longings, about desires. Jesus is saying, in other words, we should never live our lives on neutral gear. No. We should live engaged and fired up and desiring something. We should desire and long deeply for righteousness, for, for right living, for life with God. And to be more aligned with God, we should be desiring deeply for those things. Jesus is saying, in essence, that you have full permission to be ablaze with desire and longing for that which is good and right and just. For Jesus, it's not all about neutralizing desire. It's about channeling it towards a life with God. A life with God. Blessed are you. You'll be really happy. Real depth of life is found when you desire right living. And as if it was a hunger and a thirst. And you know why? Jesus seems to understand for where our desires and longings go... So do we. We end up being filled. And so if culture only stokes desires for stuff, eventually we will get those desires. We will be satisfied with that. But we will discover it's cheap, it's fluff, it doesn't fully satisfy. And we will continue to desire for more. And so you just find there's, there's a chronic chase of a stuff. Because we thought we will arrive, but we didn't. We chased for more, but we didn't. But then Jesus comes and provides an alternative. Happy will you be when you deeply long and crave for righteousness, for that which is God. Because when you're satisfied with that, you will be truly, truly satisfied. So he seems also to say that it's even more important to whip up, to work out, to work up an appetite for God. It won't just come. In a culture of too many distractions, you won't get that appetite. Work it up. Whip it up. For God will truly satisfy us and we'll be whole. You know, I was talking with a dear friend of mine who's a young adult. I've cleared campus a couple of years ago and he's telling me, you know, I look at my friends and they seem to have got it, to have gotten their thing in life, but I haven't. And I told him, maybe you will be, you'll find comfort in this. I'm 40 and I still haven't got it, right? There's something in us that always seems to long for that which is true life. Yeah, we have it. And, and the, we arrive at adulthood and we discover 
we want that more than anything. We want to align ourselves. We want to press in until we find it. Blessed are you when you keep that hunger and it's in the right place until God satisfies it. So one of the stories from scripture that has been blowing my mind lately is what I want us to look at in the next couple of minutes. Mark chapter 10, 46 to 52. Mark 10, 46 to 52. You know, I bet you know this story. I bet you know these names. You have had them for a long, long time. But I want us to immerse ourselves in that story again. Mark 10, 46 to 52. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. They say that the gospel of Mark, or Mark the evangelist as a writer, he was given to brevity and haste. He wasn't given to details. In fact, Mark, Mark when he wrote the gospel, he's like, ignore the birth and childhood of Jesus. He begins with the baptism. Let's get right to work. And so the rhythm of Mark is quick and fast-paced. In fact, our story today opens, they came to Jericho and they leave Jericho. Uh, not important what happened in Jericho, but wait a minute. Yeah? So when you see Mark slowing down in a story, emphasizing on detail, repeating them again, you know, oh, wait. He's almost saying, maybe of all the stories you'll read in this gospel, this is one of the important ones. And he really slows down. According to Mark, this is a slow telling of that scene, of that scene. If it was original Mark, or oh, a blind man cried out, Jesus stopped, healed him, and continued. But he cried out. He cried out. He decides it's important even to quote how he cried. He decides, oh, yeah. Even as he cries, there's someone silencing him. And he cries out again. He, 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 he slows down. Why would Mark capture so much detail of this moment unless he wants to tell us that this story matters? Matters more than most of the other story he's telling, and we have a lot to learn from it. And one of the things Mark wants us to learn is that Right now, maybe in times that we are living, in times and moments like this, we are invited not to be heroic in our cheers and chants of victory, but we are invited to be heroic in our cries for the healing, saving, and whole-making touch of the presence of Jesus. We are invited to a different kind of heroism, of the heroic, yeah, a poverty of spirit, a desperation that says, son, 
of David in this November, in this moment, in these seasons of our lives? Have mercy on me. So it matters that in this story we see the crowd shushing Bartimaeus. It is because crying out is never the cool thing to do. If someone here just lifts up their hands and they're weeping, or, you know, culture doesn't celebrate crying out. It's not insta, insta, Instagrammable, right? Instagram is about the end goal. You know, hey, guys, look. The math teacher, you know, kind of scenarios. Look where I, I am. We made it. We don't want to those crying out. And so even the, at that moment, Bartimaeus is crying out. He's uncomfortable to his colleague and teams of beggars. It's disrupting the peace, and they order him sternly to be quiet. So crying out is not a culturally appropriate posture. But somehow in this story, somehow in this story, somehow in our lives, it is the one who cries out who gets the full attention of Jesus. You know, we are not all okay as we ought to be. We are all aware of the many blindnesses, so to call them, that afflict us. Our lives are not complete. There is always a gap. This story is telling us we should not settle until we are made well. You should not settle until you experience what wholeness is like. And we are to shout out desperately, to reach out to Jesus and not to miss our moment. You know, this doesn't appear to be a heroic act on a cultural level, but it is what is truly heroic in the, in the, in the long run. You know, another thing that November is increasingly becoming known for uh, are the many initiatives towards men, right? It's also called what? No shave November. And it's become a movement. In fact, I was reading about something called Movember you know, moustache and November, you know, that focuses on men's health. And, and, and one of the things they focus on is men's mental health. And I want to tell you, this is the hardest group of people to cry out. Yeah, I always wonder, what happened to my tears? You know, I, 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 as a baby, I had them, now I don't. You know, I used to think it's a good thing, but then I'm realizing, actually, I don't know. I don't know where I should find them. Yeah, but, but men... They know how to cheer and to cry out. You should see them when Manu scored yesterday on the 90th minute. You know, we have neighbors there, and we always get startled, right? And those are not cries for, from women. They are from men. Yeah, they know how to cry out, you know, on, on victory and on things. But they don't know how to do it in those spaces of desperation. And so they end up being hard hit by moments. You know, um, a couple of months ago, I turned 40, and I decided I'm going to look for an image to, to look up to, an iconic image to look out to for my second half of life. And so I was happy when I started out with Moses. You know, Moses is this guy. He did great things. You know, he was a hero. Yeah, and then a couple of days ago, I went, I went for a retreat because it's my 40th, and I need to find more clarity, maybe Moses and all that. And the first evening, I was given this story of Bartimaeus. And, 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 and as soon as I started sitting on it, I'm like, I, I need a hero. I'm given a man in desperation, right? What is that supposed to be? And, and it was such a profound invitation for me. You know, cry out. It's an invitation for poverty of spirit, for humility. And so to men here and everywhere, cry out, cry out. It matters. 
Yeah? After Bartimaeus cried his heart out, eventually Jesus stops, stands, right? Stand still. You can imagine he's followed by a crowd. If he goes to town, they know who he is. He, he may have performed a couple of miracles, and these guys are following him, and he stood still. And you can, I, I always want to imagine they all went silent. Yeah, we can give it a conservative number, 100 people, all silent. Jesus has stood still. This guy performs miracle. What's going to happen to this blind guy? And so he says, bring him here to me. Even the guys who go get him are encouraged. No, no, it's a different tool, not keep quiet, you. You're disrupting the peace. Take heart, he's calling you. They bring him to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? <clears throat> what do you want me to do for you? When I start with this story, I think I a little bit took offense with that. Jesus, he's blind. Are you pulling a joke on a blind man? Are you just... Why are you asking such a question? You are the God of the universe. You know really and truly what this guy wants. So why ask that such a question? And I found the answer in how Bartimaeus responds. He tells him, my teacher, I want to see again. I want to see again. Bartimaeus made an honest admission of his blindness to Jesus. Bartimaeus stated his hunger and his thirst for a life of seeing. And it is not that Jesus did not know his need. But I think Jesus is teaching the crowd at that moment. He is a man who knows what it is to hunger and to thirst for right living. That's why he asked that question. It's not so much for Jesus. It's so much for us. He is a man who knows how to hunger and thirst for that which will make him whole. And then he wants to pose the question to you. Are you? Do you know what you truly need? Are you hungry and thirsty enough to be made whole? I can tell you that there's a deep longing for us all to truly live and to truly be all that God made us to be. But perhaps what seems to happen so often is a dimming down of that hunger. Especially when we realize that we can't fix ourselves fully, that we come short again and again. Something happens when all the self-help books and the wisdom of influencers fail to transform truly. We settle down in quiet desperation. We settle down in quiet desperation. And as a result, we become hungry for fluff and junk that does not truly satisfy or cause us to be fully alive, but only distracts us from the real hunger. And I want to tell you, not anymore, beloved. Let us go a bit crazy. Let us get the attention of Jesus. Let us wholeheartedly admit to him, my teacher, I want to truly live. I want to see again. I am not destined to sit here in blindness. Please, my teacher, I want to see again. I want to be free from addiction. I want to be free from bitterness. I want to be free 
from disease. I want to live powerfully and shine my light bright. My teacher, I want to truly live again. I want to truly love. I want to truly serve again. My teacher meet this need specifically. Show me what it looks like to be whole. I am always amazed when Jesus says it this way to Bartimaeus. Go, your faith has made you well. Right? You know, it's, it's, it's okay for Jesus to say, go, I have healed you. But he says, go, your faith has made you well. And I think Jesus is saying maybe that's why it's right and just to hunger for the things that are right. Maybe when you hunger for that which is right, it stokes your faith. And you go to Jesus, you know, and you don't settle. And you cry out. And he says, go, man. Your faith has made you well. And I was just thinking, isn't it nice and wonderful to appear heroic in the eyes of Jesus? Because if there's something that impresses Jesus throughout the gospel, it's those words, go. You see this one? Go. I, I won't even take the credit. Jesus says he won't even take the credit. Go, your faith. Good job. Your faith has made you well. When Jesus looked at Bartimaeus, he saw someone who hungered and thirsted for sight. I want to believe that Bartimaeus was not the only beggar on the roadside out of Jericho that day. I want to believe, in fact, he was in a company of beggars who were so mindful of not disrupting the peace because if you disrupted the peace on that day, you would be fired from your begging place. But Bartimaeus is the only beggar who left that life behind that day. And do you know what the rest were left doing? They were left minding what other people think. What would you rather have? Do you know what the other beggars wanted that day? They wanted a can full of coins. But there was one who knew what it was like to leave this life behind. And he so longed for it. And I want to believe that was not the first day he longed for it. He longed for it all his life. But that day, when Jesus passed there, he knew it was his moment. And he said, my moment shall not pass. And the rest were left there collecting coins. And I wonder, could we often remain stuck in situations in life because we have hungered too small, because we are afraid to look uncool, because we are afraid to let out a cry in desperation that says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We won't be healed in our properness. We will be healed in our desperation, in our coming to Jesus. You know what this story does? This story says... When you look at it, by the way, you can't fix your own mess. Jesus is trying to channel our hunger in the right place. Yeah, in the right place. You can't go shouting around to everyone, but once you shout and direct your cries to Jesus, chances are Jesus is often passing by looking for someone who's hungry enough for a touch from him. And he does it. And just like the other beggars, often we are going for stuff. We are just scrolling on, 
missing the miracle of Jesus that is right in front of us. Don't settle. Don't settle, beloved friends. You have sensed the gap between who you are right now and who God made you to be. Stand in that gap. Cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to live again. Lean into the hunger for all that is life. Do not settle anymore. We are all Bartimaeuses. Now I'm happy for this story. Now I'm happy for this story because I don't have to, to be proper and cool anymore. Right? I can just, you know, I, I look at all the churches that are named, especially in the Catholic, you know, the heroes, St. Peter, St. Thomas, St. John. I was thinking I would name this St. Bartimaeus because it's about calling us to a desperation and a humility and a crying out and an improperness. Yeah? He, do you know what he did when he was called? He threw off his cloak and he sprang up. Do you know why Mark wants us to know that detail? It, it, it's, it's, it's slow motion. Mark, the guy who goes so quick, wants us to see this. Right? It matters. Because on that day, for you to be a beggar, you had to, be, to get a permit from the government. And the permit was a cloak. And should you ever lose your cloak or undermine it, you're sent home. You don't beg. But when Jesus called him, he knew, he knew it. I am not coming back here. And, and if you don't do anything, Jesus, I'm done for. He threw it down. Yeah? It's a story that tells us, let go. Let go of stuff. You know, I am a victim of, of the whole consumerism things. When I'm desperate, when I'm anxious, I will go for something. Don't. Don't. Cry out. Cry out. Throw off the cloak. Turn off the distractions. Take a walk. Fast. Do whatever you can. Tap into a desperation, a hunger, and a thirst for that which is life. For hope, for love, for life-giving goodness, for prayer, for scripture. Go into it. And you know what? I've been thinking to myself, times are hard. Times are crazy. A lot is at stake. We can't just sit in the couch and binge. Right? Lean into something. Black November needs to be something different. Let it be a movement of crying out. Of crying out. Of you leaning into that which is life. We have been on the edge so much. I, I, I want you to imagine that scene of all those other beggars who are there telling him to be proper, minding what everyone else is thinking. That is what consumerism feeds, right? Channel something different. Lean into a hunger. And Jesus does stop still. Jesus does hear. Jesus does say, come closer. Jesus does ask, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus does want you to say clearly, I just want to live again. I just want to get past this moment of stuckness and struggle. I can't fix it myself. So throw off your cloak, spring up, and go to Jesus. All the distractions around us are only keeping you from fully embracing the Jesus in front of you. We hold on to things, but we are meant to be open-hearted and embrace fully Jesus. So what are the distractions? What are the cloaks keeping you comfortable in the life of blindness? Throw off your cloak. You won't need it in the, eye, in the land of sight and seeing if that's what you truly want, if that's what you're hungry for. 
I was at a retreat somewhere, and the facilitator told us that the more you're generous to God, even in offering your whole attention to him, the more you discover that he offers himself so generously to you as well. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst. Offer yourself fully. Give yourself to Jesus unreservedly. Turn your full attention. Cry out. Cry out. And we will eventually discover that we will live for more, as Bartimaeus discovered. You know, the vision of this church is all about life. People and our world coming alive in the love of God as modeled by Jesus. And this is what we are talking about. Be alive. Come alive. Hunger. Hunger for that. Hunger for that. Stop being proper anymore. Show up in church. Love unreservedly. Just, just lean into that. And perhaps you'll discover a different kind of more different from what culture is offering. Different from what culture is offering. So, I want to leave you with this. <clears throat> May we stoke the hunger and the thirst for right living. Don't just, don't just wait. Stoke it. Lean into it. Stoke it. May we be seized by a hunger for life, for goodness, for justice, for holiness, for life, for love, for prayer, for scripture. Do you have it? Lean more into that. You know, there's so much being offered to make you comfortable. But that is the life of blindness. Throw off your cloak, lean into something and discover an adventure with God that you did not think was possible. Let this be a prayer for you. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So I want us to, I want to leave you, I want to invite you for a minute or two, just right where you're seated. Just open your hands, take a bow. What do you want me to do for you? That is your question today. What do you want me to do for you? It's not like Jesus doesn't know, but he wants you to name it. Are you hungry enough? What do you want me to do for you? And it's not so much what you can do for yourself. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Hunger for that. Hunger for that. What are the cloaks you've been holding on to? What are the distractions crowding your life, your space? How can you begin to frame a prayer along the prayer of Bartimaeus? My teacher, I want to see again. Maybe for you, my teacher, I want to be free. My teacher, I want to be healed. What is it? Name it. Begin to craft it for Jesus. Let's take a minute or two. Just be in the presence of God. Learn to cry out.
Lord Jesus, we're gathered in your presence this morning. Community of Batimiasis, willing to admit that we're not all well, that we're not all proper, but willing to come to you and say, Son of David, have mercy. Son of David, this is the struggle. This is the need. This is the deep longing and desire I have for life. We come before you, a community that wants to stop settling in a life that is less than what you've called us to. And we know we can't do it by ourselves. And you either do something for us because we cannot go back. Today we cannot go back to those habits, to those struggles. Do something for us right now. Free us. Rescue us. We long for your healing, saving, whole-making touch more than anything, Lord. So we are a community that asks you to, to stir up the hunger and the thirst in us for that which is good and true and beautiful, for that which is right, for ourselves, for our loved ones, for the world around us, Lord. For so long, there is so much that's at stake that we cannot just sit and rest and wait. Shape us. Shape us into a people who came to you like Bartimaeus. Let us come to you in a way that you are impressed by our faith, that you can even dare say, look at these faithfuls. Their faith is making them well. So help us, Lord. We know it's not easy to be free from our cloaks, Lord. And so we are asking you to free us, free us from that, those distractions, the culture all around us, shaping us and informing us after its own values. And let us be shaped by you. Let us remember that you say the good life is when we hunger and thirst for something that is truly deep, deeply satisfying and life-giving that has God in it. Let us be those people. Let us be those people. Let us experience your healing and your goodness. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.